Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, you've tuned in to America's Home for Conservative, Not Bitter Talk. It is a pleasure to be here today. Email, as always, or ever since we changed it, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Thoughts, questions, opinions, all the rest can be sent there. Today I want to do something a little bit different. You know, there's... When we do this program, we often through the and this is how I look at it by the way. We we use the narrative of the day, the things that are happening in the news, the things that are being well, that are being added to the to the narrative. Um, we try to also discuss things that are sometimes beneath the radar. But to me, what's most important about what we do here every day is using using those issues almost as springboards to talk about greater truth, to talk about things that um, the, the wise, right? That's when I hear from you oftentimes, and that's one of the things some of you will, e- when you email me or message me, you'll, you'll talk about how you appreciate how we get into the why. I'm not one of these people. I, I, there's shows that do this and that's great. I, it's just not my thing who, get into the the details on a lot of the um, on a lot of the issues like for example we've talked about Hunter Biden's laptop to me you, you find the parts of that that explain and then exp- the parts of that that are troubling and then explain what it is that or why that is a problem right um, because you have, some people, and this not for people in this audience, but people that you'll encounter who say things like, well, I want to see Donald Trump Jr.'s emails if you want to see Hunter Biden's emails, but they miss the context. They miss the point. It's not just that we're randomly saying we think we should see his emails. We've actually found his emails. Well, he left them with this computer guy, computer repair guy, and then we saw them and thought, oh my goodness, what on earth does this really mean? <laughs> How compromised is this? And that is the context. It's not just like, oh, I think Hunter Biden's doing something bad, and then you go after him. That That's not at all what I think we should do. I think we should actually follow uh, constitutional law and the way this country was set up, and we shouldn't just go on witch hunts, as people have done with the former president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. But my point is, in, in mentioning the emails, we don't. There's some people that'll parse every email. We'll talk about what it means. Uh, that's just that doesn't do it. For that, I mean, I don't know. To me, the issue is th- these are some of the troubling things. These are uh, that this is quite possibly what these emails or information on the laptop means, and this is why it's a problem. This is why we need to do something about it. So to me, you always use the issues to get to a greater 
truth, not just bog down or into the details and say, well, do you know what the 37th email in that email list says? Okay. No, but I know in general <laughs> what the the things in the in the communications and on the computer that seem to indicate some bad things were going on. And I understand why those things are bad, not just, well, for the office of the presidency, for the American people, for this country, for national security, and all those things. And so, but every once in a while, I want to stop. And I just want to, I've just been thinking about this. So today's slightly different than many days where we use current events. I want to I just wanted to paint a picture of how we arrived where we are and how I think we can fix it. And I want to go back. Don't worry, we're not going to go year by year. But I want to go back to how this country was founded today. You know, you many of you know this, some of you may not. The founders actually listed in the Declaration of Independence 27 reasons or examples of things that were done by King George III that caused them to seek independence. And so you can almost read it as a series of, uh, well, people would say grievances, and it is a series of grievances. You know, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened almost. And it's almost as though the founders are saying, you know, we've tried. We don't, you know, it's gotten to the point where this guy is a tyrant of all types, uh, you know, a petty tyrant, a tyrant on massive issues, and we've given up on trying to work with him. The only solution is for us to be free. He does not respect our rights, which are given to us by God, not by him, and it's time for us to form a new nation and to part ways. And that's a, that's a summary of what that document is. And so, I just want to kind of paint where we came from, what they, because I think, I think there's some things that we can glean from this, learn from this. For starters, I want to say this. Have you ever been, have you ever been asked by somebody, if you could live in any era, which era would you choose? And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks it would be cool to have met and worked with the founders I love. George Washington's my favorite. George Washington is my, you know, the America, America's first uh, president. And while not a, uh, well, he's, I, he was in that era, a very important leader, uh, just uh, an amazing man. I mean, everybody wanted him to be president. This, and he set the precedent for what it meant to be the president. He could have been president forever. They wanted him to continue. He didn't want to do that. He said, if you can't make this country work without me, it's never going to work. And I just, I'm in awe of, of a lot. Of, and look, he's not a perfect man. I, uh, I, I've been to Mount Vernon. I've, you know, you, you, many of you have been to Mount Vernon where his, his homestead there in, in uh, Virginia, just on the outskirts of D.C. He had slaves. He freed his slaves upon his death. Um not condoning that, but I am saying a lot of the things that Washington stood for and believed, we, we still need to recognize the, the good in that while also recognizing the atrocities of, of slavery. But it's easy to say I'd like to go back and, and to you know hang out with those guys and to have the, be in those rooms during the Constitutional Convention and all this sort of stuff. Um, but the truth is, the truth is, I think we overlook just how difficult life was. 
in those times. Living in the new world, living in America in those times was not a walk in the park. It was difficult. By the way, do you know the average life expectancy around the time of the founding of this nation was was mid-30s? You'd be lucky to hit age 40 in a lot of cases. Interestingly, the average age of the founders, uh, the signers of the Declaration, I believe was 69. So they lived longer, but they also suffered loss, which we'll talk a bit about here. But, you know, the, the founders were living in a new world. They were dealing with the struggles struggles of building a, a new civilization here, uh, you know, building the nation, so to speak. They were certainly blessed by a lot of things here, but they also had a ton of struggle. Life was not easy. And in fact, I find myself wondering the percentage of Americans who are alive today who actually could have even survived five minutes in that world, or even how many could have thrived in that world. I don't know. But you think about their struggles. They had a low, a low quality of life in comparison to the comforts and technologies and so forth that we have today. Low life expectancy I already hit on. There was, there was poverty. There was disease. Folks, I even... When I go back, when we go back a couple of generations, um, it was not uncommon. Um, I have both of my grand, uh, let's see, I'm thinking of my grandmothers. They were from larger family. I think they both had, I think they were both, I think they had one of 10. That's what I'm thinking at the moment, but now I'm I'm pausing because maybe maybe I'm not exactly right. I think they had 8, 10, 12. One of them, I think, had 10. I think the other one, um may have had one or two others, but it wasn't uncommon for, you know, in that generation for there to be sickness or for for one of the children not to make it to a, adulthood. Disease and, and, and death were, I mean, they're always a part of our lives, but they were more prevalent in those days. There, were, there was conflict with Native Americans. They had physical labor. They had hard work. Which again, nothing wrong. But there was no, there was not a lot of time for rest and entertainment and leisure. Those concepts would have been foreign to a lot of people in in the new world. Not not that the the founders of many of them or a, a fraction, a portion of them were were wealthy, so it was a little bit different. But even then, I don't know if, I don't know if you've been to Mount Vernon. And it's a beautiful place where George Washington lived. Absolutely stunning, right there on the Potomac and. Um, but even then, it doesn't it, it pales in comparison to what we have today as far as modern, modern comforts. Now, I'm not suggesting that all that matters in life is, is a modern comfort, but what I am saying is that life was hard. Life was hard enough on its own, and living under a tyrannical government multiplied those problems dramatically. And the founders had reasoned that their rights that their rights, our rights, come from God and not from government. And candidly, it was kind of a revolutionary idea back in those days. And when they reasoned that the rights were given to them by God and were being denied or tried to be denied by the British government, they realized they had to do something. And so those 27 grievances that are listed in the Declaration, and you can you can read them. You can go through and read them, and some of you certainly are very familiar with this, and others might not have looked at those before, and that's okay, but they basically, they tried. They, they tried to work with the government, or you know, they, they were patient in going through this process, and some of these things that, that were being 
done to them by King George was absolutely just, I mean, brutally. Remember, I, I explained the, I wanted to talk about their, their lives and the quality of life and what their day was like. It's not like today where they came home from work, and I'm not minimizing, look, I don't want to minimize anyone's personal struggles here, but they couldn't come home from work, pop up on the couch, grab a beer, and watch a ball game, right? I mean, that just wasn't something that they, that wasn't in their reality. That just was, that would have been a completely foreign thing. So these oppressive measures taken by the king was real, were brutal on people. And so, um, the king, the king and the British government was operating under a different worldview. They didn't believe that the rights came from God. They thought the rights came from them. They thought their worldview was that they had a divine right to rule and the colonists and the founders had a divine obligation to follow. I mean, for those of you who go to church, I mean, this is the equivalent of the religious leaders in the time of, of Jesus. These are people who, the rulers who had a heavy hand, didn't think of the uh, the Americans, the colonists, as, I mean, uh, definitely not equals to them, but maybe not even human at some point. Just your job is to obey. I'm the king, you obey. That's how it works. Don't challenge me. And if you don't do what I say, I'm going to levy all sorts of difficulties. I'm going to throw them your way until you submit. That's how that's how it worked. And there was nothing that was off limits, nothing that was too petty or nothing that was too large or nothing that was just that they wouldn't do, that the king wouldn't do, an area of life that he would meddle in. I mean, there's a couple of examples. Um, there were colonists that lived west of the Appalachian Mountains in these days. They were ordered by the king arbitrarily without a voice or representation in, in government to just to move back because he decided for whatever reason, um, we don't have time to go through all the history of this stuff, but just to, to come back. And you think about, that's a, <laughs> that's a massive problem. I mean, these people, there's not, there's not moving companies. They didn't have a housing market to go, you know, to, to go and get a realtor and to fly back to, you know, the East Coast to find a place. I mean, this was a massive, massive ask. And it wasn't even an ask. It was an order. It was a dictate. It was a decree. It was an edict. Columnists, or the columnists, the colonists had to provide lodging for British troops, even when the French and Indian War was over. They had to contend with things like the Stamp Act, which said in certain instances... You have to use paper that has a foil seal of some sort on it um, for your legal documents, and there was that was a, a tax, incredibly expensive um, thing that you had to do. The Townsend Acts, which is where we they started taxing imported items, things like tea, and you think about how this led to the Boston Tea Party and what was going on there. They, the columnists, I, I'd hit on this earlier, they were forced to pay taxes. They were forced to obey laws that were passed or created or decreed in England, and there was no representation for the column, uh, the colonists. They had to, in some cases, 
uh, experience mock trials. I'm referencing some of the things that are in the declaration. I'm referencing some things that just were happening at the time that are maybe referenced but without detail in the declaration. Just the, the historical context of what was going on here. And I, I'm getting, I want to get to where we are today through this. So just hang in, hang in there with me. So some people, they, um, they, they were not allowed in, in cases, many cases, maybe, um, well, some didn't get a jury trial. Instead, they were being tried by those who were loyal to the government. Some of them, and that, that led to this idea that there were mock trials. They knew that the colonists wanted to have a trial if they were charged with something. First of all, they were being charged with things that weren't necessarily legitimate. And then they were being tried and had a jury of people that were loyal to the king, loyal to the crown, loyal to the British government. And they were basically told to make life hell on these people and they're guilty, right? <laughs> and so, I, look, I mean, I'm just, there's things that come to mind, in modern times that make me think, hmm, that sounds a little bit familiar. It's not identical, but there's certainly things that make me think, huh, well, that sounds interesting. I think, I mean, I'm one of the things I'm thinking about is how we deal, um, how we've dealt with, or how our government has dealt with the people they've detained from Jan- January 6th, from, you know, from the January 6th riots. And, I mean, they whatever the final guilt and outcome is for individuals is that needs to be done in accordance with the law and fairly and lady justice needs to be wearing her blindfold but there there are certainly ways we're not supposed to treat people who are in who are detained who have been charged who have been waiting there who have had all sorts of bad things happen to them who have not had due process not allowed to talk about these things. Navigation acts were something else. It made it harder for them to trade with the rest of the world. You think about, hmm, what are actions our government has taken that have made certain things impossible in, in an economy? And you think the world that I painted, the, the, you know, a, a growing economy, the frontier, you know, uh, conflict in cases with, with Native Americans and um, just struggling to survive, harsh winters, building cities and civilization and all this sort of stuff. And then you have the government coming in and doing these things. Some defendants, by the way, were actually shipped off for trial in England. They weren't tried even in their local communities. They have the issue of taxation without representation. Basically, what the king was doing was taking away their rights, the, the rights of the colonists to have any say whatsoever in their own local governments, That and he would trample upon their freedoms and force them to do things because they needed to submit to him. I mean, it, in my mind, at one level, it was as simple as that. It was as simple as he believed he had the divine right to be the king, and these lowly little idiotic colonists, as he looked at it, as a maybe not even second tier of humanity at the time, these no good for nothing, just troublemakers needed to comply. And I think about compliance. How many times? I mean, compliance, mask mandates, 
get the get the jab, all this stuff. I just, I mean, there's there's so many things here that I, you know, you ask yourself, what would the founders have done if that was the case? Oh my goodness, can you imagine? But this behavior by government, whether it's in the seven, and this happened for decades prior to the revolution, but whether it's in the 1770s or the 2020s, it's not acceptable. But in the 1770s, folks, it was downright dangerous and even deadly. The pressures, these folks were already having a difficult time just getting through life in general. Again, I mentioned the age, the, the life expectancy was mid, mid-20s. I'm sorry, mid-30s. If you made it to 40, you were considered fortunate. Dangerous to do these sorts of things. This wasn't just... And again, it's, it's not good today, and it's dangerous because it leads down this path that takes us to all sorts of places that we shouldn't be going. But the founders said enough, and eventually they signed that document, made a pledge. They said we mutually pledged to one another our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They meant it. Many of them lost a lot. Many of them sacrificed a lot. I don't want to go – I have that here, but I don't want to go through it because of time. So – Get back. I want to go through this. I want to take a kind of a, a, a brief history of, of how we went from that. People saying enough. Our rights are given to us by God. Enough of this abuse. Enough of the tyranny to where people are willingly walking back into it today. And more importantly, perhaps, what I think we can do about it. So sit tight, my friends. You're listening here to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. So we left off. The founders signed the declaration. And from that point in time, we're going to skip way ahead now. So don't think we're going to go through every month and year of American history. But the prosperity and the lifestyle improvements that resulted from what our founders did were unprecedented in the history of the world. And I think I've said this before. I'm not going to I'm not going to stay here for long because I want to get to some other things. But. America was founded on an idea or a series of ideas, a worldview, if you will, a worldview that says that we are created by God and that those rights that we have come directly from him. They don't come from a government. If you, if you live in one part of the world, your rights, the rights that God gives you are identical to those that are given to people who live in another part of the world, regardless of skin tone, ethnicity, gender, all the things that we're supposed to focus, just hypersensitive, just have a hyper focus on. None of those things change any of any of the things that God has given to us. God has given all of us the rights. And the issue is whether or not government wants to, to recognize that. And of course, by its nature, government does not want to recognize that. By its nature, government wants to do what the King of England did, which was you know, pretty much uh, come down with a heavy hand on those who did things that the government did not appreciate. But on top of that, the prosperity that resulted. The look, look at <laughs> now the the country had, of, of course, took some time to get some traction and and really have the 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 blessings and the prosperity and the opportunity and the inventions and the ingenuity that came from the decisions of our founders to embrace truth, to embrace reality. But if you look um, if you look at life expectancy and other factors, 
um, wealth and just opportunity, quality of life, just the overall advancement of society. You can trace it back to the unleashing. The founders unleashed, unleashed the individual. And it God makes individuals. And so by by saying we're a group, we're, we're a country that has citizens and not subjects, by saying we're not going to have a king, we respect the rights of the, of the individual that are given to him and to her by God. Again, they weren't perfect. They made lots of mistakes, but they also set some very important cornerstones. And we are infinitely better off than we would have been had this not happened. But there's also other consequences that came from this. With the easier life, um, I think came the desire over time for some people to create problems that they had to overcome because we laid forth the problems that the founders and the colonists faced at the time of the founding or maybe even better yet, just that people had experienced throughout the history of the world. I mean, struggle is common, right? And life became so easy. And I remember my... um, I say mentor, I guess, even though I mean, he didn't directly mentor me, but he indirectly mentored me over the radio, Rush Limbaugh. He used to talk about this. He used to say that for many people, the day they are born is the beginning of history, the beginning of their understanding of history in their minds. And we are so blessed and so prosperous and have so many things going in our favor that there's almost a free time, this leisure time, this time to sit and to let our, you know, not all people do this, but some people certainly create problems. Maybe to some degree we all do, but there's certainly people that have a proclivity to do this, create problems that they then, you know, um, somehow in their minds, I guess, almost equate that as the same thing as dealing with starvation on the, you know, on the frontier or what have you. But this began to happen. The, the, The prosperity was good and it led to tremendous wealth and opportunities and and businesses and just change of lifestyle, um, all sorts of good things. But there also became some bad things that came along with it, or at least the temptation for people to choose to do those bad things. So there were idle hands. Oftentimes these idle hands were envious. Sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, as I mentioned, they created problems they then needed to solve or even created boogeymen people who were responsible for their problems you know we are the 99 percent crowd got to blame someone else and in this era in this situation in this you know a result i guess of this is that government starting started to do more government started to do much more the, the nature of government as i said before is to grow anyway the, the nature of anything that a human being does is to grow And if we don't actively do it, or actively, I should say, prune it, um, government is going to grow. And the Constitution is the equivalent of pruning shears for the government. Hey, is the government staying within this framework? If not, get those pruning shears out, maybe fire up the chainsaw and start cutting off, I'm going to say branches. I don't mean branches of the government. I just mean in the metaphor, things the government is creeping into. Slice that bad boy off, keep it in its particular lane. The nature of government is to grow uh, in any way. And when you couple that with 
people who start looking to the government to do more and more, especially do things like redistribute wealth or to, you know, punish someone for something that, you know, one group says you're responsible for this. You're wealthy. You've made money off of, you know, off of me. You've exploited me, whatever the situation. And I'm not saying there's never a time that someone is directly responsible, but a lot of this stuff is is built upon false uh, premises, a misunderstanding of, of reality, the way that things work, um, lies and so forth. But the government, the government should be there to actually, someone literally created direct harm to you, they should be responsible for that. But saying things like capitalists created uh, problems for people who needed to, you know, needed to be used or, you know, to be, to, to work as laborers, that actually was a blessing to them to have to have money to be able to provide for their families and so forth. But the government began to grow is the point for several reasons. And I've got to take a break here. I want to come back and pick this up and get into where we are today. So sit tight, my friends, listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in mere moments. <laughs> And so let's get back to this here. Let's talk about this path and where we've ended up and how we get out of here. So um, I mentioned over time government in the last break. Government has gotten into areas. It's doing way much more than it ever should have done. And there's other results of this, right? Education slowly started to change from this concept that was designed to help people learn how to think to telling them what to think. And yes, despite what some people will tell you, the word effort, the word education, at least in part, at least in part, and maybe in large part, sizable part, is the process of drawing out. Yes, there's things that people have to be told that they don't know about, but there's also within all of us, because again, of the founders understanding that we're created in the image of God, this this part of us that can think and reason and make sense if it's drawn out. It's not just a bunch of things that we're programmed with. That's how it's treated today, and that's why it's dangerous. And this, of course, for those that want to change society or change culture or change this country, some, not all, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying there are people that are fantastic teachers with great motives, public schools, private schools, everything in between. But there are also teachers, professors, teachers, whatever, who saw this as an open door, an opportunity to change the worldview of the next generation. This is undeniable. Again, whether it's 1% or a bigger, I mean, that's an an issue that's open for debate, but it's undeniable. And this think, think critical race theory. Think the transgender stuff. Think the idea that parents don't have a say or shouldn't have a say in their education, yet schools and public officials should instead of parents and taxpayers who pay for these schools, public schools anyway, to begin with. And as we ventured down this path, right, as we ventured down this path, I think haters of truth started to chip away at some of the truths upon which our culture, our government were built. They attacked God and said he was a fairy tale. They redefined the beginning of life. They convinced way too many people that opposing certain worldviews was hateful or bigoted or racist. 
or whatever, this silenced people, this uh, created a, a, a situation where some people thought, I, I'm not going to even get into that. I'm going to live in my own little lane and just be about my merry way, thinking that the <laughs> thinking that it was never going to extend into their particular the life that they wanted to live in at that particular moment. That's just not the way. It is this this worldview is insidious. It is it will not stop. It knows no bounds. These folks never sleep. It will wherever whatever you carve out, whatever someone would carve out to to live in today, a little world of peace and serenity will eventually be treaded upon by government. Make no mistake about it. There's no place that's permanently off limits to these folks. On top of the problem of people being silenced, though, were the people who became comfortable. Maybe too comfortable. Actually, very. that's very true. And a lot of people became apathetic. I think that's the biggest problem we face today. Or I should say, I think people are being, I say awoken, but smacked out of their apathy. Now, those of you that have followed this stuff and cared about it for a long time, you... If you, if you ever were apathetic, it was years ago, and maybe some of you have always been engaged, but you know someone that's been slapped out of their apathy, um, and they're coming to realize just the, the scope and size of this problem. Um, but the, ap- ap- the, the, the radical left was never apathetic. They never stopped working. We did. Conservatives did. We started to either directly change exchange the truth for a lie, or opening the doors for those who were more than willing to push lies over truth. We didn't stop it from spreading in some, in many instances. Post-moderate, uh, post-modernism came out of this as a result. Everything was over-sexualized, everything. I mean, just we just had uh, immoral stuff that was thrust upon us in ways at every turn. I think the church was scared. I think sometimes they... Um, Gave in to, to threats in the sense of you know having nonprofit status taken away if they ventured into subjects that someone says was political. I don't think the church should be political, by the way. But not everything that modern politics calls political is actually political. The Bible actually has some some things to say about a lot of these issues. And I think the church, instead of fighting this, in many instances, decided to stay inside her walls and started preaching sermons that. Maybe didn't seek to change lives, but had three points in an illustration. And I'm not saying that's always bad, but we just, we just, we've just had a series of things that have happened here that have not been good for truth and for constitutional conservatism. Those lies eventually became so insidious that we either became numb to them or we didn't warn our kids about them. In some cases, maybe we even started to accept them, believe them ourselves. And then on top of that, we agreed to let these folks tax us to death so that the idea of having one working parent is very hard or close to impossible in a lot of cases. This means that, lo and behold, look who's positioned to subtly say, well, we'll take over more of these teaching aspects. We'll start taking your kids younger and younger. And I'm, this is not, I'm not condemning it if, you, if two parents work. That's not the point of this. I'm saying... People don't even have the choice. That's my point. And when when we're forced to have to work, sometimes by choice, sometimes by pressure, sometimes by taxes, whatever, the direction of the government, realities of life, a series of things, when, we're, when we just aren't able to manage everything, lo and behold, look who's either called upon to fix the situation, who, who suddenly wakes up at your doorstep here to... You know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, which Reagan said were the what the nine most terrifying words 
in the English language. On top of that, folks, we become hyper-consumers. I don't mean every one of you. I'm just saying in general. This is Americans. We become incredibly too busy, which we hit on. And, you know, there's there's a loneliness. I mean, it's like we're connected. We're connected, but I've seen people at dinner. They're both on their phones. Family sitting there. There's no family time. We're always around people, always have information, but we're all, a lot of people experience loneliness, disconnection, and there's just this breakdown, right? So let's kind of pick, I'm going to come back and just really quickly hit on some things that I think we can do to fix this after the break. Sit tight, my friends, back in just a minute. So there's a lot more of the picture that we can paint, but I think you get the idea. So I think, where are we today, right? Where where are we today and what can we do about it? And I think there's a couple things we can do. First, I think the most obvious one is we have to realize what, what we're up against and we have to fight back. We can't be afraid. We can't have the mindset that says we'll just compromise this next time and that we'll go along to get along eventually these rad, uh, radical, godless leftists are going to push society in such a way that's going to hit us no matter where we are. It's it's unavoidable. It's inevitable. I think another thing that we all have to do, if we have children, grandchildren, take control of our children's education. Now, we don't. I'm not here to tell. I would not tell you what to do when it comes to that. But I think the options are these. Number one, homeschool. And I don't necessarily mean this in an order, but homeschool. Homeschool avoids a lot of the problems in the public schools. Now, there's there's certainly challenges and realities. I get it. We homeschool, so I'm just I, I relate. You can send your kid to a Christian or a private school, something that's not woke. If you send your kid to public school, you'd better be prepared to be uber involved. I'm talking, you know, form or join parent groups, go to school board meetings, maybe even run for office. Get to know your child's teacher as early as possible in the year. And, and build a relationship with him or her so that you can start off on good in a good place because if and when perhaps an issue arises, this is the first person, the teacher, that you need to probably address or speak with. I think the same is true for administrators. You got to communicate with your child, know what's going on, try to learn everything you can about what is going on in the classroom. If a problem exists, it has to be addressed immediately. I mean today, nothing, nothing more important than that. Nothing. And... If there's a person, a teacher, a administrator, a school board member that says education shouldn't be determined by determined by parents or taxpayers, or we should include sexual talks with young kids, or um, our rights don't come from God but they come from government or the school district or whatever, or they constantly give in to federal or state government, I don't know mandates or just directives, vote them out. They need to go. They are by definition part of the problem. And as I say that, sometimes I think public school dealing with all that may actually be more work than than homeschooling. That's there if you have good teachers and good administrators, a lot of that can be avoided. But anyway, um I think we need to follow our gifts and talents and our calling. If you're a young person and it's time, you know, maybe you go into some of these careers, these fields that are run by leftists. Um, I think we need to focus on building and developing character because we're going to have to stand firm against this stuff. And there is nothing more powerful against an ungodly, out-of-control government than people who are of godly 
character. Got a couple more things that I want to say after the break and some things we can do, but I'm going to take a time out. One more quick break. Back in just a minute. All right, my friends. In closing here, the other thing is, and I've talked about this on this program quite a bit, we have to engage and persuade. We have to, if we want to move the needle on culture and on politics, we're going to have to bring people into agreement with us. And the good news is, is the same thing the founders had to deal with. Within us all is this, is this we're trying to draw out from that person their understanding of, of truth. And the framework upon which this nation was built is absolutely rooted firmly in truth. And there's a way to do that. And I can't go into detail a lot here, but ask questions, listen, earn the right to speak. We have to embrace the truth, my friends. We have to actually love others. It's not a matter of just, I'm right, you're wrong, and pounding them over the head. It's meeting them where they are. Direct them to places like this program or folks, even other places. Truth is, I think we've got to learn to work together in this situation. Or maybe at some point, as we grow the conservative, not bitter university uh, portion of our program, become a conservative, not bitter course facilitator, which is coming in the future. Be strong and courageous. Folks, more people agree than we know. I've got to go SCGC tomorrow. Take care.